You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. and welcome to Gobbler Country's Talking Turkey. This is podcast number five for the season, and it's also podcast number one for live games. I'm here this evening with my two co-hosts for change. Jay's not training anybody today, so he's been he's able to make an appearance. Jay Johnson and Brian. Brian Manning is out in West Virginia doing his thing in his office, and Jay's out in California doing his thing in his office, and we're having... We're having the miracle of high tech here. So how's everybody doing today? Doing solid, John. Thanks for asking. Excited for Virginia Tech football to start up again. How about you, Brian? Doing good on this end. I echo Jay's sentiments. Excited about football. So doing great. Okay. Well, it's football. And Friday night, 7 o'clock, ACC Network, which we finally get on Comcast. So I'm hoping to see it. Maybe ESPN regular, probably ESPN regular since it's a seven o'clock game. But what we've got is, well, they're going to fly. But for those of us, it's up 81 and east on I-64, all the way across the Hampton Roads Bridge Tunnel Bridge into Norfolk. And we're going to go back to Tidewater, going to go back to Norfolk and give it another try against ODU. Guys, I don't know how you feel about that. Now I'm going to let each of you chime in on on the potential and what it means to us. So, Brian, go ahead. Yeah, this is a, an exciting game as far as the opening game. It's a, a team that we have a not a long history with. We played them three times and won two and lost one. I think we can all remember that one loss as the downfall of the Justin Fuente era. It seemed like things kind of just went downhill from that point on and there was a locker room issues that, that led to Trayvon Hill being dismissed and just a terrible time and things just kept getting worse. But excited to put that behind us and get a uh, some sweet revenge on Friday night to kick off the Brent Pry era. A lot of excitement. But like John said, this is not a pushover team. They have some offensive weapons, especially at the skill positions, a dual threat quarterback. Going to be a tough challenge to open the season. How about you, Jay? Yeah, I think Brian hit the nail on the head. Like that did seem like that was the the beginning of the end for Justin Fuentes' efforts with the Virginia Tech. I mean, we were a ranked Hokies team, and I was telling John earlier, like we still haven't won in Norfolk, so we need to beat them in Norfolk. And I do think that it's going to be a tougher game than we realize. This probably is ODU's best team as far as like they've had a chance to like warm back up. Cause remember they didn't play at all in 2020. So like the beginning of 2021 where they like lost six games out of their first seven was really them kind of like remembering how to play football. They lost a lot of people to transfers. They didn't have any experience. Now they're returning 17 starters, 10 on offense, seven on defense. They've got some transfers that came in. So particularly their wide receiving core is pretty robust. I think we're still going to win. Like we're still a more gifted team, but they're not horrible. No, they're going to be a big challenge. 
The one thing that I did notice, and we'll go over some of it when we go into the next segment, when we talk about their offense and a little bit more about their offense and potentially their defense. Brian and I touched on it last week. In general, Ricky Rain has just got a contract extension recently. I don't know how he did it, but he managed to put it enough together. He reached down and he pulled up Wolf. Their starting quarterback was not doing the trick. And he pulled out Wolf and the team turned around and they had to win their last five games to get a bowl game. And they won their last five games. It was a mixed bag, but you know, there was no blowouts or anything Had some close games, but to do five games in a row, to win five games in a row, when you're down on the turf and you aren't moving, that's some motivating factors in there that people aren't paying attention to. So There's some energy in this team. Now, they did lose the bowl game, but we all know last year the bowl season was weird. It was just plain, flat-out weird for everybody. I don't think I've seen a worse bowl season. Even the 2020 bowl season wasn't as bad as this season's. Weird results. And, of course, you know, the ACC with Tech not even having a head coach. There was a bunch of teams that didn't have head coaches. It was not a good thing. Now, the one thing we need to touch on real quick before we break for commercial is something that's a little different about ODU. What's a little different about ODU this year? They're in a whole different conference, aren't they? The evisceration of Conference USA has proceeded in haste, and now ODU is playing in the Sun Belt with a promoted JMU, and Virginia suddenly isn't just FBS turf for UVA and Tech anymore, is it? No, and the Sun Belt is like quite an, it's a decent conference. Like that's where Coastal Carolina is. That's where Marshall is now. So I think Marshall's in there. I could be wrong about that, but I thought they moved to the Sun Belt. But there's a lot of decent, particularly offenses in, in the Sun Belt. It's looking a whole lot like they're trying to recreate the SEC at the next level down. You know, SEC being the four-star, five-star, four-star level. And they seem to be trying to put a presence together to dominate the Southeast in the two-star, three-star level. You know what I mean? If you're ODU and you're over there in the 757 area and you get some of those prospects that, you know, Power 5 schools don't want, you can build a pretty good roster with, with those guys. I think that's what they're doing with some of the players on their roster. If you look at their roster, I was kind of looking at the roster breakdown a little bit before we got on. If you look at your roster, it's a pretty healthy spread of basically two-star and some three-star kids coming out of high school in Virginia. It's a very Virginia team, but but surprisingly, ODU seems to have recruited pretty well over a pretty wide region. So they've, they've appealed to some people. That makes it a little bit surprising. So at this point, the big factor we've got is their offense. Their starting quarterback they just named, like it was one of those no-duh moments, as we used to say in the old days when I was a kid. And the big old no-duh was that their starting quarterback was going to be Hayden Wolf. Their starting quarterback last year was Hayden Wolf. Hayden Wolf's 6'5 and weighs 235. But what's interesting about Hayden Wolf is you'd think that he was a read option quarterback and he should be a dual threat quarterback, but they didn't use him that way last year. In 2021, they did not use him that way as much. His rushing stats for last year were not were actually in the negatives. He did not run the ball that much. They used their starting running back, who is not evidently 
he might be a challenge for us. So, you know, we're going to talk about that when we come back. We're going to go into some of the more specifics, but but there's some challenges that we're going to have to face that our defense is going to have to face, and I kind of like the way they're they're looking at it. So if everybody will hang tight, we're going to take our commercial break, and we will be back after these commercial messages. Welcome back, everybody. We're starting this segment, lead-in little segue. I'm going to Jay. Jay, we were talking about ODU's running back, who kind of is surprising, didn't he? Yeah, John, he's a, a solid running back, at least for, for ODU last year. He definitely went off for a couple games. He had three games where he ran for more than 150 yards, and he had several hundred-yard games as well. So he's kind of smallish. He's uh, about 200 pounds, 5'9". So considering how big their offensive line is, where there's like a bunch of 6'6 dudes on that offensive line, like he is going to be able to hide behind that offensive line and then just kind of burst forward. Their offensive line is looking like it's going to be pretty – pretty stout. So we're definitely going to have to watch out for him, you know, just sneaking around the end or like coming out of the backfield to catch passes. He had a thousand, 1,112 yards last year, eight touchdowns, average 5.2 yards per touch. Like those are some stats that we would, we hope to have on Virginia tech this year, you know, and they, they had it last year. So, I mean, as far as their rushing attack goes, I think it's, it's going to be stout. I mean, we are expecting Wolf to be the starter, but they also have Notre Dame transfer DJ Mack Jr. So not as much of a passer, but that dude's got wheels. So we could see him on the field as well, I think. So having a rushing quarterback, maybe switching in and out potentially. We all know how Virginia Tech struggles, regardless well, of who's coaching, I, against it, a rushing quarterback. At this point, the defense, and, and I'm going to turn some of the defensive issues over to Brian, but I will bring up one thing and we put in the post because it was something special. Something came back this year that I'm pretty excited about. I was very sad to see it go. I thought it was a tragically bad mistake for it to go. And it's back. They brought the lunch pail back. Of course, the people that are running this defense are other than probably, I think, the most impressive coach that we have. This did not, I've been with, with Chris Marr. I've been very impressed with him. But you've got JC, you have Pry, who was here in 95 when the lunch pail was originated. They brought it back, didn't they? Brian, what does that mean to us? And what's their defense going to have to, you know, they're going to have to bring their lunch pail, I think. So let's go over ODU's defense, and then we'll talk about a little significant part of ours when we talk about in the third segment some of our offensive and defensive stuff. Before we move over on the defense, we should talk about ODU's tight end, the six mm. foot eight, two hundred and sixty pounds. His name is Zach Coons. He played at Penn State. He is he's a future NFL player, and I can only imagine the trouble we're gonna have defending a six foot eight tight end. And that's pretty normal, I think, but you would have trouble defending that guy, but that's a guy to watch. And then they have a receiver named Ollie Jennings who transferred from West Virginia. Another really good player. So those are two, in addition to what Jay said about the running back, that's some pretty good skill talent right there. Yeah, and a 6'5 passing quarterback at this point. Like I said, doesn't look like Wolf has exercised his wheels very much in the last five games. He's passing the ball a lot. And now, I mean, you've got a tree throwing to a tree. That's kind of hard to cover when we don't have a whole lot of trees. They probably have the best receiving core in the Sun Belt. Like with the tight end and with Ollie Jennings, like 
it's probably the best receiving in, in the Sun Belt. If I'm not Go mistaken, ahead. Jay, the, another receiver they have on the roster is the son of Dre Bly, who is a, a thorn Jordan. in our side on the, in the recruiting world for North Carolina. He's a top recruiter there at UNC, also a former NFL star. So that's another guy. He's a good player, too. It isn't just uh, yeah. the name, but he's another good player. Yeah, yeah Jordan so Bly, he's going to be starting for him. Our defense is going to get challenged. So let's say kind of cover what you can on what, I mean, you've said, okay, these are the challenges, but what are we going to have to match and what are we going to be able to put up? We haven't seen any depth charts yet. You mean as far as ODU's defense? No, our defense at this point. Just oh, our, our defense. defense. Well, I think we pretty much know who our starters are for the most part. The defensive end positions, it looks like Cole Nelson, the second-year guy, is going to be going to be one of our defensive ends. We got Taiwan Garbutt in the mix. And you got Norrell Pollard and Mario Kendricks and Fuga in the middle. You got a combination of those guys at linebacker. Obviously, Dax is going to start, but I think most people believe Tisdale would be a, a natural to start, but it sounds like Jaden Keller is pushing for that spot. And then, of course, there's Keonta Jenkins. John, you and I talked about him earlier yeah. on one of the earlier podcasts. And then in the secondary, there's some depth there. And I believe our secondary will match up well with, with the receivers. It'll be a good battle. I still worry about that tight end. I don't, I don't know who – Keonta Jenkins is a natural fit to cover him. But I, I don't know that you're going to match up well with that. It's it's just tough to defend a, a guy that big who's who's athletic, who's in sync with the quarterback, runs good routes. He'll make his plays. I don't see this as a blowout, but we'll talk about that in the, at the end of the third segment when we do some some of our predictions and hopefully we don't get too much egg thrown around on our faces. Okay, so now we've talked about our defense and how they're supposed to, their offense. I figure we just do it that way. The biggest matchup I see, they're going to have to put Jenkins out to cover that 6'8 tight end. I don't see anybody really, okay, unless they nail him at the line of scrimmage and keep him from getting off, which it doesn't seem like he's one of those guys that's easy to knock off his route breaks when he comes off the line of scrimmage. And Rain, remember, Rain knows pride. He knows Pry's tendencies. He knows Pry's favorite things to do. Now, he may not know J.C. very well, but he knows J.C. enough because he faced J.C. at Marshall. You know, we'll see. This is not as much of an unknown group of people to each other as a lot of people would like to think. I think that's going to be our hardest issue is, is that we've got a lot of people who actually know how the other guys coach more than just a collegial coach, you know, like the love between Frank Beamer and Mac Brown and all that other stuff. That was something, but they always reserved something from each other. When you've got guys that served on the same staff or routinely, you know, have mixed it up, it's a little bit different. And I think that's going to be one of the big challenges we're going to have with the defense is putting the lunch pail into effect and everything nice emotional run. Nice emotional push. Chamari Connor is going to be carrying the the new lunch pail in. It's not the old kicked in, beat up lunch pail. It looks very much like the old lunch pail, but it's new. And so they're restarting it, making it fresh. Hopefully they don't beat it up as badly as they did the old one. But that's going to be a, a nice little momentum getter. But you've got to back that momentum getter up, don't you? 
Absolutely. I love the uh, story behind the lunch pail and I'm, I'm glad they brought it back. It's, it's, it's a symbolic thing and it, it fits. And if it was any other coach coming in with no ties to Virginia Tech, it may seem a bit forced, but Bud Foster's behind this. The former players are behind this. I think it's a great thing. And you know how Miami had the turnover chain and that was so stupid and forced. This is pretty cool. I'm, I'm happy to see it back. Jay, your finals before we drop out. Yeah, I just want to really, really second what Brian said about how horrible the turnover chain was. Ugh, terrible. <laughs> well, it just struck me as kind of low rent, and I think the current coaching staff also thought it was low rent because it's no longer there. Hey, we won't be here for one kind of two minutes, maybe. We actually had two commercials in the commercial break, both commercial breaks last time. So we're going to go see if we get two more. So we'll talk to you on the other side. All right, welcome back to uh, Talking Turkey. So we just finished discussing what we could be facing with Old Dominion's offense and how our defense matches up with them. And now we're going to take a look at the opposite side. So taking a look at what the Monarchs bring to the table on their defense. Brian, what's one thing that stands out to you with regards to this ODU defense? Two players that stand out on the defense are two linebackers. There's Ryan Henry, who had... They run a little bit of the four-two-five defense, which we know quite well. Henry is the leading tackler, plays in the middle, led him in tackles last year. He's a good player. And then there's also Jason Henderson, who's another good player. Those are the two guys to watch. They're linebackers. Their top pass rusher is back. And Marcus Hayes, who had five and a half sacks last year. So there's a good mix of players there. Their defense isn't going to be as threatening as what their offense is. I know they have some players back, but last year, one thing to note when going over their schedule last season is they seem to struggle. They were great against the run, but seem to struggle against some of the better passing teams, which may be something that we look at going ahead to Friday night. Yeah, Brian, that makes sense to me as well. Like they lost their leading tackler in the linebacking core from last year, but that unit just has a lot of young talent and athleticism on there. They also brought in some power five transfers. So they've got Dante Burton, from uh, Wisconsin transferred in to come help out with the secondary. And their defensive line is actually supposed to be pretty strong, pretty stout as well. Maybe one of their better defensive units. But over to you, John, what what sticks out to you with regards to the Monarchs defense? Well, in looking at their roster split out and looking at their defensive ends and their defensive tackles, you see, first of all, there's nobody below 6'2" as a defensive end, 6'3", 6'3", 6'2", 6'3", 6'4", 6'5", 6'4". Now, none of them are very big. They top out probably somewhere in the 250, well, I got as low as 215 and as high as 257, which means that they're tall and fairly lightweight, which means they're going to be fairly fast on the outside. Now, on the inside, we have the physical challenge. The inside is... They don't have anybody particularly short except for Malcolm Britt, who's six feet tall, and that's a linebacker. He's 222, and he's a freshman, so we're probably not going to play him. Who knows? Maybe they get a little garbage time if there's some garbage time. But what I'm seeing out of their tackle core is they're right in the 6'2". Almost everybody's 6'2 or 6'3", and right around 280 and just under 300 pounds, which means... It's going to be a challenge for our offensive line to kind of cut down their height. We're going to have to be able to keep them out and keep them 
kind of gapped out because what's Grant Wells' biggest problem? Turnovers. And what is one of the biggest problems in turnovers? Is guys in front of your face and blocking your view or cutting your alleys down or forcing you to make bad throws or forcing you to make panic throws to where your vision gets like this and you don't see, you're not seeing the whole field. So that's going to be, I think the offensive line is going to be challenged hard on the pass protection because the ODU defensive line is pretty tall. It's not real tall, but it's pretty tall. Like I said, they're they're all over six feet tall, got big spans, and none of them are lightweights on the inside. So that's my observation on that. Let's talk about Tech's offense at this point. What's got to happen? Give me thing one from you guys, each one. What's got to happen? Well, ideally, you'd like to get that running game going because you can do so much based off the running game with the play action pass and everything. You don't want Grant Wells to be one-dimensional considering he has a history with interceptions. So let's get that running game cranking, and then we can start slinging the ball down the field with Caleb, with the entire group of wide receivers. I like this group, Dwayne Loft and all these guys. It's a good group. Mainly, let's start running the football well and get that offensive line established. Yeah, I agree with you. I think the the running game is going to be a primary, but I'm also hoping to see like quick snap passes, right? Like your three second passes, because those ends are long and they're fast. And so they're going to get after the quarterback. So if we're able to get a ball out into the backfield, you know, where we used to try to do screen passes, <laughs> if we can successfully get those three second drops and get the ball out of the quarterback's hands quickly, that should alleviate some of the pressure. I'm not super interested in seeing them go downtown. Like I would love to just see like hitting the tight ends hitting Dwayne Lofton on a quick route, just kind of West Coast type de- uh, offensive mindset so that we can not get mauled by their pretty quick defensive ends. The big secret of the West Coast offense always was, oh, well, yeah, I was behind this line of scrimmage. No, the secret of the West Coast offense always has been and always will be that quick three-second, eight-yard hit somewhere. You got somebody in the open under the zone at about eight yards. And that's what you hit. You had three seconds to get it there. You got it there. Belichick made it work with Patriots back during the Brady era. The same thing. It was, okay, who's the hot read? What's going to take three seconds? You're the guy going to get the ball. And there was no audibles. They just, that was it. Boom. You know, as soon as they figured out where they were going. Well, that's the kind of thing that we're going to need to do. Brian, you're right. We need to get the running game working. That's got to happen. We cannot live with this two yards in a cloud of little black pellets on the turf kind of stuff happening all the time, every time. We've got to start moving the ball on the ground, you know, with some sort of regular schedule that equals first downs. And the intermediate passing game, and yeah, Jay, I agree with you 100%. Okay, yeah, the bomb is sexy and all that other stuff. I don't care. I'm an old man, and I've been overweight my entire life, and sexy ain't my thing. Another thing that I think is going to be important is just keeping the Monarch's strength off the field. Their offense is their strength. So, like, let's put together some 75-yard, eight-minute scoring drives so that we keep Wolf and those wide receivers and that monstrous tight end off the field as much as possible. Yeah, it seems like basic football, but you know what, folks? This is basic football, isn't it, guys? Our team needs to take the field in Norfolk and... Just play good, solid, basic football, run the ball on schedule, throw it on high percentage passes, 
that actually get yardage. No more of these dumb bubble screens to covered receivers where they get one yard. You know, a 40-yard pass for one yard, we cannot do anymore. You get a snap and a 30-yard pass to a, a receiver that is not open other than to catch the ball, and he's immediately tackled for one yard. There's a place for that, but not 12 or 15 times a game like we were doing last year. It's kind of like the jet sweep. I mean, you, those are good plays, but when they're a staple in your offense, it's ridiculous. Yeah. There's one more interesting thing that we didn't cover yet, and that's Grant Wells played against ODU last year when the Thundering Herd beat ODU in overtime. Yes. So he's got direct experience playing against this this defense, and he barely got out of there, right? Like, yeah. they won in overtime, but he threw two interceptions. So, so but like I just I thought said, that was interesting. Like he's well, he's played them. <laughs> well, we, we, we were talking about in the break. The odd thing about this is these guys know each other. Everybody knows everybody. A, a lot of the key critical players have already played each other. These are two teams that are not unknown to each other, and hopefully, they would rather not know us, right? So we're going to have our one little shot. Everybody gets a prediction. I'm not going to predict a score. I'll predict an over and under and then, you know, a spread. You know, each of you guys do it your own way because we're going to have the written one later. So, Jay, you go first. Yeah, I actually think there's going to be a decent amount of offense in this game, but I think the Hokies are going to win by at least two scores. So, actually, I'd probably go with 28 to probably 28 to 17 Virginia Tech. I'm thinking along the same lines as Jay. I was going to say it's going to be a double-digit win in my opinion, but I think it's going to be low double digits. I think it's going to be anywhere of a 12 to 15-point win. Yeah, like I said, I'm going to do the over and under thing. I think the over and under breaks probably about 45, maybe something in there, 40 to 45. And I think the spread's probably a little north of a score and a half. You know, I think the wise guys have the concept right. I think their eight-and-a-half-point spread is probably pretty close but yeah it's probably going to be you know like maybe 10 points Eh, maybe two touchdowns that would be nice I I think a two touchdown win would be a really nice thing to have but I would be more than smiley for a three-point win although I would start to scratch at a three-point win but I think a nice solid 10 or 14 point win would be a nice thing to walk away with so if we could all walk away with that let's chime in one at a time with what we usually do at the end of a podcast. We'll be back after the game for a 20-minute session, beef session, hopefully a little celebratory. And as we always say before we get out of here, go Hokies. Go Hokies. Go Hokies. Go Hokies.